Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm up a little high, Clem. Ephesians chapter 6. Go to Ephesians chapter 6 in your Bibles. Great song. I will follow. And, um, of course, there's a mission theme to that song. And I've told you before uh, that if God were to call you to leave this place and leave this assembly and go to a faraway land to take the gospel to people, that uh, I would want you to go. And uh, you know that I would miss you greatly and that we would love you. And uh, we would do all that we could to support you. And that's how the early church worked. Um, But at the same time, it's important uh, when we think of missionaries and we think of evangelists or pastors or people who are preaching the word of God and taking the word of God and giving it to people, equipping saints for the work of the ministry, it's important for us to remember that it really is impossible to serve God and to do his will, whether it be in a foreign land or in this land, without being fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. Did you understand what I just said? Did you, did you comprehend that? It really is impossible to go be the missionary that God would have us to be on a foreign field if God called us there without being surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. It's possible for a missionary to raise support to go through the turmoil and the frustration of deputation, going from church to church, uh, presenting their ministry and being denied, and then being accepted and coming to 100% of support, and then to leave mom and dad and family and to go to a faraway land where you don't know basically anybody. And it's possible for a missionary to do all of that and to have an education and to know the word of God doctrinally and be able to teach it. But if that missionary is not filled with the Spirit, then it will be all wood, hay, and stubble. Sometimes I think we put missionaries on a pedestal. And... Um, And in some ways, I don't think it's wrong to do that, but sometimes we put them on a pedestal almost as if they are, uh, they're not human. Um, And they're doing things that we could never do. And I want you to know something, that throughout the Word of God, there are many standards that God sets that you and I in our flesh cannot do. But yet, it is His expectation of us. And he's provided what we need, and that's his Holy Spirit. Uh, as we've been studying in the, in the last half of the book of Ephesians, even just back in chapter 5, we saw how wives are to submit themselves to their own husbands as unto the Lord. That's God's standard for Christian wives. Many wives do not submit themselves to their own husbands. And when a wife does not submit herself to her own husband, it is because she's not saying yes to the Holy Spirit of God in her life. If she would, she would be submissive to her husband. We read in Ephesians chapter 5 that husbands are to love their wives like Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. That is a selfless husband. That is a self-sacrificing husband. And it really is impossible if a husband is going to try to do that in his flesh. That's God's standards. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And God's made a provision for you and for me as husbands to love our wives like Christ loves the church. And that is his spirit, omnipotent, all-powerful spirit that lives within us. He, we, we, we looked in the beginning of chapter 6 and we saw that the standard God gives to children who are saved is that children are to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's righteous for them to do it. And then he says, and honor thy father and thy mother. That's God's standard for children. We could say, how many of you like, how many of us like standards? We like standards. Most of us don't. How many of us like rules and laws? Most of us don't. But God's standard is righteous. It is the right thing for children to do. But it really is impossible for a child to do it in such a way that pleases God unless they are saying yes to the Spirit of God and then 
If a child will say yes to the Spirit of God, they will obey their parents and they'll honor their parents at the highest level in a way that's pleasing to God. Now we come down to verse number 5. And down through verse number 9, God is still giving us some very practical instruction through the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, to Trinity Baptist Church. And now he's going to talk to us as employers and employees. How many of you, maybe you own a company or you work for a company, but you have people who work for you? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have people who work for you? Maybe you're in management or you're an owner you, you hire people, people work for you. There are some in this room like that. And how many of you, uh, you're an employee? Now, you, may, you could be both, I guess. If you're in management, you have somebody you work for, and then you have somebody, some folks who are working for you. But there might be some here, and you say, there's nobody working for me, Pastor Seth. It's just me doing what everybody else wants. I'm the employee. I'm not in management of any kind. I'm the employee. And there are some of us like that as well. And God's going to give some very practical instruction for us, for all of us in this room. This, this by the way, could also be applied to, to uh, different positions you may hold. Maybe you, you volunteer somewhere. Uh, maybe you work in a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church or a Sunday school teacher, or, or maybe you help keep the grounds, or maybe you were out working out at the harvest field yesterday and you were, you were working, and you were taking instruction, you were trying to find some instruction, and you were working, and you were doing a job. And How is it? What is God's expectation for you and for me? And uh, what is your expe- expectation for yourself? Are you, the way, is the way you do your job pleasing to God? That's a really good question. Is the way you do your job The way you prepare to teach, the way you teach, is it pleasing to God? Look at our text beginning in verse number 5. He says this, and I'll read down through verse 9. He says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Verse 9. And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing threatenings, Knowing that your master also is is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Let's pray, and uh, and then we'll look at these verses together, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us today to understand your word. Give us understanding. I pray that we'd have a fear of you. Help us, I pray, to understand this morning that you are our master, and that everything that we do on this earth No matter what it is, we ought to do as unto you, and that you're going to reward us for how we've worked and how we've labored, for what we've done. And Father, I pray that this truth from your word this morning would have a wonderful impact, maybe be even life-changing in our lives. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know... The Holy Spirit is the provision that God has given to us to do what he, what he asks us to do. The Holy Spirit is God's provision to us, for us, to fulfill his expectations, to fulfill his instructions, to do what he's asked us to do. The Holy Spirit within us convicts us, you remember. He convicts us when we're wrong. He leads us to the place that is right He enables us to live out God's will. Some of us are frustrated because we don't love our wives like Christ loves the church. And the reason for that is because we're not filled with the Spirit. We're not surrendered to Him. We're not submitted to Him. We're not saying yes to Him. We understand God's standard, 
but we're still trying to do it ourselves in our godless, wicked flesh. The same is true in the workplace, as we'll see here this morning. Our attitudes sometimes aren't what they ought to be. Complaining, these sort of things. And it it really has no place in a believer's life. It really has no place in a believer's life. I want to look at two thoughts this morning from our text. The first thought is found in verses 5 down through verse number 8, and it's about an, an employee, an employee. So maybe you're the employee, you work for somebody. And, and the truth is this, and you might write it down, a spirit-filled employee is ultimately serving Christ. A spirit-filled employee is ultimately serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, look again at verse number 5. He says, servants, and the word servants could have been translated slaves, doulos, is the Greek word, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. You know, the word, look back at verse 5, that word servant, meaning slave. Historians estimate that within the Roman Empire, in around AD 64, when the, the epistle to the Ephesians was penned down by the Apostle Paul, during this time in history, historians estimate that within the Roman Empire, there were over 60 Uh, 60 million slaves. 60 million slaves. Within that culture, slavery was an accepted institution. Slavery was the blight of the age in Roman times, and I would say it's the blight of United States history as well. People were bought and sold like cattle, including many members of the church at Ephesus. There were members within the church at Ephesus who were slaves. They did not own themselves. They did not have freedom. And God was giving them some very important instruction for how they could just not please their master. That's not the goal, the ultimate goal for his instruction. But that these people who would, many would have thought, have no value other than a monetary value we would ascribe to an animal... In that kind of society, God was saying to them, you and the work that you do is incredibly important to me, and how you work and how you do the job that you have to do, no matter who your owner is, you can serve God. See, we've made a distinction within Christianity, and I don't know when it began. It's not biblical. We don't find it in Scripture, but we make the distinction of full-time Christian service, and then not full-time Christian service. But from this passage, God doesn't make that distinction at all. He's speaking to slaves, and he says to them, if you will serve me with fear, fear of me, that you're going to stand before me someday, if you'll serve me with singleness of heart, if you'll serve me not working so that other people will see it and compliment you, but if you'll do the job that you've been given, as unto me, God says, it's service. You're you're really serving God. We have a lot of folks in this room, and we have white-collar workers, we have blue-collar workers, we have some retirees, and and you still have a lot of work to do, and you're getting roped into all kinds of things. And um, There's a lot of of part of life that, that includes work. And labor. And one thing we have to understand, and we see it very, very clearly from this passage, is that the work that we do, if we'll do it as unto God, is actually service to God. So if you're designing a website to promote somebody's product, and you do it with all of your heart as unto the Lord, God counts it as full time service to Him. Do you understand that? And I say it often, but we all ought to be full-time servants of God. And what I mean by that is, we all ought to be doing everything that we do 
as unto the Lord and not for people. Not for people. So he's talking to slaves in this passage. No one in this room that I'm aware of is a slave. It was the blight of the age in Roman times. Many of the members of this church were slaves. And the sla- many of the slaves in that day had no civil rights. They were subject to whatever their masters wanted them to do. They were considered merely as pieces of property of varying value. They could be beaten. They could be crucified under, under the Roman law. Not biblical law, mind you, but Roman law. Or even worse. Worse than crucifixion. History records of a slave, result, or a slave revolt led by Spartacus. And really it only led to the slave owners keeping their whips closer in hand. And many of the slaves in those days were highly skilled. Some were highly educated. Some slaves enjoyed a measure of friendship with their masters. All slaves lived with a measure of fear. Change. What if they were sold? Their families split. What if they were traded, or what if they were punished, or, or maybe worse? And understandably, many slaves, and we can imagine what this would have been like, but understandably, many slaves would have harbored deep resentment for their owners. We can understand that. We can, I don't know if we can understand it completely. We can imagine that. But the Holy Spirit of God told these believers who were slaves within the church at Ephesus to accept their lot in life. Now, it's not that the Bible is condoning slavery in any way. In fact, in, in the whole of the Word of God, slavery would be condemned. Before the Civil War, many years before the Civil War ever happened in the United States of America, uh, many Baptist preachers up in the New England area would preach the Word of God and rail against slavery and preach against the sin of slavery, of owning another human being. Look at verse 5, the beginning part again. He says, be obedient to them that are your masters. But remember, Paul's ministry wasn't to overthrow the Roman government or slavery, but Paul's responsibility, the penman of the book of Ephesians, was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to point people to Jesus Christ. And I'm reminded of of, of the preaching of John Wesley, and I'm reminded of the preaching of George Whitfield, and how their preaching of the word of God led indirectly to the abolition of slavery, and how their preaching of the word of God helped end child labor and helped to promote the equality of women and the care of the poor. The preaching of the word of God led to those things. And so the ministry of the word of God contributed to the death of slavery and the encouragement of freedom. By the way, it's estimated in the United States of America today that there are, the, the CIA estimates that there are 100,000 people held in slavery within the United States today, and there are different kinds of slavery. Most of slavery is gone from the world. There are several countries where it is still prominent. But within the United States, men and women are no longer bought and sold like furniture. But we do sell our time, don't we? If you work a job, you sell your time. You signed a contract. You said, I will, do, I will give you this many hours a week of my life, and you're going to pay me for my time. We do sell our expertise, and the principles of this passage apply to those of us, though not slaves, it implies to us as employees. And what is the attitude, what's the action of a spirit-filled employee? What are some of the characteristics that God says should be a part of our lives as Christians who work for someone else? And again, maybe you work for money. Maybe you donate your time. Maybe you're a volunteer. I don't know. Maybe you're, uh, you're working within the local church. How, what should be your mindset? What are some of the characteristics that should be a part of your life as a believer? Someone who's filled with the Spirit of God. Well, I'll give you a few of them. Look beginning in verse number 5, the latter part. And the first characteristic I notice in the latter part of verse 5 is that a Spirit-filled employee obeys his employer. He obeys his employer. Look again at verse number 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Servants, we could say it this way, in our day, the application would be employees, obey your employer. 
I didn't get any amens. No one's smiling at me. This is going to be great. How many of you have great employers? Okay, yeah, we got some. I'm not going to ask the rest of you to raise your hand, okay? The reality is sometimes employers aren't great, right? Is that true? Sure. Employers make mistakes. Employers aren't without sin and without faults. But as you think about this, this idea of employees, be obedient to them that are your masters, to your employers. Uh, Please don't forget that many of the believers who heard this passage read for the very first time were themselves slaves. Few, if any of them, had been able to choose their masters. They weren't able to choose. They were sold into that lot. You know, when we accept employment and we, we put our skills at the disposal of our employer, they want to know our skill set, and they tell us what the job is, and we think we can do the job, and we hope that they've, they've got it clear in their minds what they want done, and, and of course, that's always changing for many employers, right? Because life changes, and then that's got to be communicated to the employee, and well, that's not what I signed up for, and this is more than I thought it was going to be, and you're not paying me as much as I thought I, I would be paid, and all of these different factors can begin to play into our lives. Uh, but when we accept employment, we put, really put our skills at the disposal of our employer for an agreed-upon number of hours per day. We're expected to be paid, we, we expect to be paid for performing certain functions, and to, to an extent, our time And talents are not our own. We've bargained them away. We've sold them. And our employers have every right to expect that we will be industrious. That's a great word, industrious. I finished this project, and I know within the company these other things need to be done, and so I'm going to go beyond what I have finished, and I'm going to do those other things. Or maybe I finished this project, but now I'm thinking ahead, and I know what's coming next, and I'm getting ahead of the workload So my employer doesn't have to tell me everything to do. As employees, we ought to be industrious. We ought to be conscientious. We ought to be thinking about the big picture. As an employee, we ought to actually be trying to make our employer money. We ought to actually be trying to make him or her successful at the highest level. When I was in college as an 18-, 19-year-old, I can remember working down at InstaLube for a couple of sun- summers. Ownership has changed, so this is not a recommendation of that company, okay? So don't run right down there. And after my illustration, you probably won't. I can remember working there, and, and, I, and I did the best I could possibly do. I worked hard. And I can remember uh, a Ford truck coming in. It wasn't the Expedition no, it was. It was an expedition, not an excursion. And it, and it came in, and the filter on that truck was within the front bumper in front of the driver's side wheel. That's where it was. It was very convenient to get to. I don't think it would be too convenient in an automobile accident, okay? But anyway, the truck came in, and I took off the filter. It was hot. You know, I took off the filter. I pulled the drain plug. The oil's coming out. I let it all drain out. I put the I, I put the new filter on, I put the dr- drain plug back in, they filled it with oil, and the truck took off and began, it pulled out on Pearson Road and began to head west on Pearson Road. And a few minutes later, uh, the manager, manager came down and said, hey, Seth, could you come up here for a moment? And, uh, and I went upstairs, and he brought me to the front of that bay, and he said, I want you to look at something. And he said, do you see there on the, on the ground? And I, I'm looking, I'm looking, and then I realized there's oil. And there was a trail of oil going from that bay out to Pearson Road. And I walked out to Pearson Road, and they made a right-hand turn with that truck. And there was a trail of oil going up Pearson Road, up over the hill. And what I had failed to do is I had failed to check if the old gasket from the old filter had stayed attached to the truck. And... uh, and what I had done is I had put on the new filter with the new gasket, and the old gasket was still on, and so it had a double gasket. It did not seal, and so it was leaking oil like crazy. And uh, the owner didn't realize what was happening, and so eventually, what happened to that engine? Kaboom. Unhappy. Now, I wasn't making a whole lot of money, 
but I had not done my job. And I can remember I went to the owners, and they had started the place from scratch back in the 80s, you know, and they were still working there, and, and I had a great relationship with them. And I remember going to them and saying, if you need to let me go, I'm okay with that. I will stay home from college to pay for this engine if I have to. And he was very gracious. He said, no, we have insurance to cover this. We'll take care of it. Please don't ever let it happen again. But, you know, in that situation, I didn't do the job that I was supposed to do. Um, We all have a job to do. If you're in the choir, you have a job to do. As pastors, there is work to be done. As deacons, there is work to be done. Within the church, there's work to be done. Within our family, in our homes, on our properties, there's work to be done. Our children need to learn these principles. In the workplace... God makes no distinction from the caliber of work that he expects us to do within the local church or as pastors and the caliber of work that he expects us to do in a secular workplace. It really is, it really is what he desires. A spirit-filled employee will Im- obey his employer. We ought to be industrious. We ought to be conscientious. We ought to be cooperative. Are you cooperative with your employer? Or are you belligerent? Well, you don't know my employer, Pastor Seth. He's a real piece of work. You know what? He may be. You, your God-given responsibility is to cooperate with your employer. You're to honor him. You're to obey him in this passage. You know what's really unique about this? Look back at verse 5. The word be obedient. Do you remember the word children obey your parents? It's the same word. Do you remember what the word children obey your parents meant? It meant listen to what your parents are saying and willfully submit yourself to the authority of your parents. Do you know that this word that uh, uh, servants be obedient to them that are your masters? Do you know that the word obedient is the same word used for obey and the same meaning is there as well? Do you know that we who have employers were to listen to what they're saying to us, try to find out what they're saying to us, And we're to willfully submit ourselves to what they want us to do, unless it would go against the word of God. So as followers of Christ, we're to be different than other people in the workplace. We're to be obedient. We're to be cheerful. We're to be loyal servants of our employers. And God's children should be the most willing and the most diligent people on the payroll. If you were to say, Pastor Seth, what's your expectation for me in the workplace. That's it right there. Obey your employers. Listen to them and do what they say. Be cooperative with them. Go beyond what they say. I can remember working there years ago on another location. And I can remember when I was in college, one particular fellow came up to me and he said, I was working for Mr. Kaufman, Dave Kaufman in those days at United Plastics. We were grinding up plastics. I was working as fast and as hard as I possibly could go. And I remember he came to me And the fellow actually said, you're working too fast. You're making us look bad. And he said, and if you ever want to slow down, they're going to know how fast you can go. And then, but you need to start slower and work your way up. Now, is that godly advice or ungodly advice? That's ungodly advice. We ought to be the most diligent people on the payroll. We're instructed by God to do our best. Be submissive. Be dependable. Can your employer depend upon you? When he gives you a task to do, do you get it done? And if you don't get it done, do you communicate with him? Let him know. Say honestly to him, this is not, I'm not able to get it done. I apologize. I think I'm going to have it done by this, or this is how we ought to do it. Give him a recommendation. We're instructed by God to do our best. And this is the law of Christ. This is the standard. This is what his Holy Spirit will lead us to do, uh, and, and he'll empower us to do it. I'm reminded of Joseph in the Old Testament. He's sold into slavery in Egypt. Potiphar buys him. And what does he do in that place? He does the best he possibly can do. He's wrongfully accused. He's thrown into prison. And he does the best he can do with what he has in prison. So much so that the keeper of the guard gives him responsibility over all that were in the prison. How many of us would like to have the responsibility of all who are in the prison? That was his promotion. Woohoo! yippee, all right. Well, that was his promotion. But you know what? 
God gave him more. God took him out of prison, and God made Joseph the second most powerful man in all of Egypt, and I might say the entire world at that time. He was faithful what he had as a slave. He was faithful with what he had, and he was diligent with what he had to do as a prisoner, and then he was diligent and faithful with what he had to do as a powerful leader. It's a great example for you and for me, and God expects the same of us. Sometimes employees waste their employer's time. Others complete the job, but they do it lazily. Others criticize the company and criticize the ownership and complain about his, his poor administration skills or his poor communication skills or his attitude. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm, I want you to think through this, but these are things that you need to contemplate in your mind. What kind of an employee are you? But believers are to obey their masters. It literally God's command in verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters. You know that to go against your employer means that you're going to have to disobey the Holy Spirit? To complain about your employer or your leadership means that you're going to have to go against the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit of God is going to lead you. He's leading you from within to honor and obey the Holy Spirit of God. Clem, there's some wind movement up here, and it's not coming from me. So maybe uh, one of the mics needs to go off. All right, there's a second characteristic. Look at verse number five, the latter part. A spirit-filled employee does a great job as unto the Lord. So we're to obey our employer, but we're also to do a great job. Look at verse five, the latter part. He says that, were to obey in the first part, and then he says, um, with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto the Lord. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Look at verse 7. With, a, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So, are you doing a great job where you work? Are you doing a great job where you work? I don't know who's on your team. You might have some other fellow coworkers you work with. You're not responsible for them if they're not under your authority. If you're in management, you are. You are responsible for them. That's, that's a heavy burden. But, but if you're an employee, are you doing a great job in your place of employment? Has your employer had to lower his expectations because of the way you do your job? And I'm not talking about maybe sometimes employee, employers can ask too much. They can set the bar too high. That is possible. But has he had to lower his expectations because you took the advice of an unsaved person who said, don't put your best foot forward yet. You're working too hard. You're making the rest of us look bad. Don't, don't temper. Do your, do your best. Uh, Maybe your employer doesn't think you can do any better. Maybe your employer is satisfied with how you're performing, but is God pleased? Is God pleased? And, And so that's the real question. God wants every one of us, no matter where we work, to do what we do as unto the Lord. Colossians 3.23 says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, do it with all of your heart, as unto the Lord and not unto men. It's true that you work for a human being, I'm assuming that your employer is a human. You might not be so sure. Look again at verse 5. The middle part, he says, them that are your masters according to the flesh. That's what he's saying. Obey them that are your masters according to the flesh. I know they're flesh. Your employer is a human being. And you're to do a great job for them like you're working for the Lord. Because you are. And that's what he says at the end of verse number 5. With fear and trembling. A fear of God. Fearing God means that I know who God is and I believe that what God says to be true. Job 28 and verse 28 says, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. In Proverbs 1.7, the Bible says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Live your life like you're going to stand before God someday because you are. Go into into work and be on time. 
Because you're going to stand before God someday and you're going to give an account. And when you're there on the clock, or maybe you're a white collar and it's, you're not on the clock, you say, I'm on the clock all the time. Well, well, you're going to have to, you need wisdom in balancing family and work and, and church and, and hobbies and uh, other things. You're going, to have, you're going to need wisdom in all of that, but you have a responsibility for a large portion of your life that is in the workplace, fulfilling a responsibility You are accountable to God for how you do that job. We're each going to stand before the Lord and we're each going to give an account. We're to to work the job God has given us with. Look look at verse 5, the latter part. He says, singleness of heart as unto Christ. Singleness of heart. One purpose is the idea. I'm to do that job for the Lord Jesus Christ, for his glory. Wholehearted dedication to the task at hand, because the task is noble, or or, excuse me, not because the task is noble, but because the person you're serving is noble. No, some tasks are not noble. I can remember cleaning out horse stalls on Carpenter Road. Dad got me a job working for Mr. Don Bowen, and he had horses and sheep, and they all shared the stall together, and he would wait until the stall was about that thick. And not just in one spot, but the whole stall. And then he'd pay me $10 a stall, which I thought was awesome at that time. I was about 14 years old. I'd go down there. He'd supplied the pitchfork, the wheelbarrow, the fresh straw, an ice-cold Coca-Cola Classic and a Werther's, one Werther's and one ice-cold Coke per stall. And I'd normally do two stalls at a time. And I'd go down there and I'd work and do that. And you know what? Should I have done that job with less effort than I study and preach the Word of God? No. We're giving it a lot of effort. Nothing's on that I'm aware of. I think I have a leak somewhere. Check my lungs. You might just shut the whole thing down. There we go. Oh, you turned it back on. Okay, I'm going to keep preaching, and you pretend that uh, there's a hurricane in the Midwest, okay? (laughs) All right. So think about that again. Singleness of heart as unto Christ. Wholehearted dedication to the task at hand, not because the task is noble. The cleaning out the stalls wasn't noble. But the the, the person, not the man, the person I was serving was noble. Jesus Christ is noble. This sure doesn't sound like most workplaces today, does it? How about, how about us as church members? How dedicated and dependable are you in the choir? How dedicated and dependable are you as a Sunday school teacher, as a junior church worker, as an RU recovery worker? Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. That's Old Testament. So it's in the Old Testament and New Testament. Are we, dedic- are we wholeheartedly with dedication, and are we dedicated to pleasing Christ with the work God's given us to do? Or are we doing it with eye service? Look there at verse 5, or verse, yeah, verse 5 again, with eye service as men pleasers, beginning of verse 6. And he says, don't do it with eye service. Don't do it as men pleasers. What does he mean by that? Now, that means I work only when the boss is watching. That means that I'm working extra hard when he's watching to give him the impression that we're doing a great job. Okay? Thank you, Phil. This TV timeout brought to you by Tenergy. It's not a Duracell. Should have paid more attention to how that came out. (laughs) 
it's on. I don't, I don't feel like I'm in an open cockpit biplane anymore. <laughs> All right. You're in verse 6. He says, not with eye service as men pleasers. Are you, are you, are you only, do you only do a good job when the boss is there? Do you only work extra hard when he's watching to give him the impression that you're doing a great job? Doing a great job is the will of God. And in everything we do, we're to do it as unto the Lord. Look at verse number six, the latter part. He says, doing the will of God from the heart, verse seven, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Verse eight, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord. And I want you to know this. Look at that passage in verse eight. If you do it as unto the Lord in this lifetime, I'm telling you, he will reward you based upon that verse Someday there will be a reward that is eternal. We have folks in this room who are in law enforcement. We have folks in this room who are in construction. We have, we have folks in this room who own companies and some who you work for a company. I don't care what you do, whether you are shoveling out horse stalls like me or changing oil or working at United Plastics uh, years ago or preaching the word of God. It doesn't matter what your title is, whether it be a doctor or a teacher or, or whatever it might be, uh, a shop worker, were to do it as unto the Lord. And he says in verse number 8, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Whether you're a free man, is what he's saying here to these people, whether you have your freedom and you're an employee, or whether you're a slave and you have no value, you don't even own yourself. If you'll do it unto me, God says, I'll reward you someday for it. We ought, to, we ought to work that way. We're doing God's will just as much when we do secular work as when we do sacred work. Ephesians 6, verses 6 and 7 doesn't make a distinction between secular work and full-time Christian service. All Christians are in full-time service when you're doing it as unto the Lord. And that's the key. Just being a believer and going out and living in the world and working a job doesn't make it service to the Lord. But when you do it, do what you do as unto the Lord, that is what changes it from just work to service to God. And by the way, it's possible for me as a pastor to hold a position that has a title of pastor and that many would say says in full-time Christian service. But if I'm not obedient, and if I'm not doing it as unto the Lord, it's not full-time Christian service. Are you with me? So the plumber, as much as the preacher, can serve the Lord. The economist, as much as the evangelist, the policeman, as much as the pastor, the shop worker, as much as the missionary, can serve God. Look at verse number 8, and, and I've touched on it, but notice that we'll be rewarded by God. The, the employer or the employee will be rewarded by God. Again, verse 8, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. You know, in that day, slaves were treated like a piece of property. A slave that became a Christian would probably receive harsher punishment and harsher treatment than those that were unsaved. In a poor work environment, what is an employee supposed to work for? What is supposed to be an employee's motivation? More money? Better benefits? Recognition? Reputation being built up? A word of thanks? What should be our motive? And the answer is, our motive should be that we're going to be rewarded by God for how we do the job. Sometimes you should stay long and finish it if you're able to do that. Sometimes, and I would say most, almost all the time, there may be an instance where you shouldn't do this, but you ought to go the extra mile to do the job as unto the Lord. Now, don't neglect your family, but you ought to go the extra mile. Some of us are geared like that, and we can make an idol out of work. I'm not saying make an idol out of work and tell your wife, I'm serving the Lord. I'm saying... Serve the Lord with whatever it is that God's put in your hand to do, even if it means suffering. Uh, look at verse number 9, and we'll wrap, we'll wrap up. Verse number 9, 
He says, and ye masters do the same things unto them. And so I've already preached those things. I'll not go back over them. But then it gives some specific instruction to those who are employers. He actually addresses slave owners. And he says, ye masters do the same things unto them for bearing threatening. And really what he's saying there is stop threatening. And he says, knowing that your master is also in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. God is not a respecter of person. So what is the attitude and action of a spirit-filled employer? Because the spirit-filled employer is ultimately serving Christ as well, if they're filled with the Spirit, if they're doing it as unto the Lord. And so he gives the employers a few uh, practical admonitions. And the first one is in verse number 9, the beginning part, and he says to the employers, seek the best for the employees. Seek the best for the employees. That doesn't mean that they should get paid when an employer gets paid. This is not an advocation of communism. He says the employer, though, who's filled with the Spirit, will seek the best for his employee. In the beginning of verse number 9, he says, And ye masters do the same things unto them. It's very interesting that Paul addresses slave owners who had gotten saved and were a part of the church at Ephesus. And apparently they hadn't gotten to the point yet in their life where they realized that what they were doing was wrong biblically. Employers have responsibilities before have responsibilities before the Lord, just as an employee is expected to do his best for his employer as unto the Lord, so is the employer expected to do his best for his employees as unto the Lord. As an employer, are you making decisions regarding your employees? Are your decisions pleasing to God? And that's what he's getting after here. If you are an employer, you must not exploit your employees. It's sin to do so. I think a wonderful example of this is found in the book of Ruth. We're studying Ruth on Wednesday nights. In Ruth chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible says, And behold, Boaz, one of the main characters of the book, Boaz and his, his, uh, came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, his employees, The Lord be with you. The employer wanted God to be with his employees. He wanted God's blessing upon his employees. And listen to the response of the employees to Boaz. And they answered him, the Lord bless thee. Hey, that'd be a perfect work environment, wouldn't wouldn't it? The employer is saying, I'm praying that the Lord will be with you today. And the employee is saying, the Lord bless you to the employer. How, when's the last time you, you, you may not say that directly to your employer, but when's the last time you thought it and prayed that way? God, would you bless the ownership here? Give them wisdom to make wise choices and wise decisions. Boaz and his employees had a relationship that honored God. He was concerned with the success of his employees. Look at verse 9, the middle part. He says that they're to avoid threatening. They're literally to stop threatening. Roman masters in those days had the legal authority to kill their slaves. It wasn't a frequent thing because slaves had a value to them, even in that society, and and they had a monetary value, and so it wasn't often that a slave would be killed. But he tells them here, forbearing threatening, stop threatening. There's a better way than to threaten an an employee. Now, there are times where there needs to be the conversation, if you keep doing your job at this level, there's not going to be a position open. There's a time for that. But that shouldn't be the the go-to. There's a better way. Luke 10 and verse 7, the Lord says, the laborer is worthy of his hire. In Colossians 4 and verse 1, he says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal. Not necessarily equal to what the owner is making, but what is is proper. The workman is worthy of his hire. And and, and listen to uh, verse 1 of Colossians 4. He says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul to the church at uh, Colossae, says, Hey, to to masters, to owners, to employers, when you're uh, deciding what you're going to pay people, you need to decide what you're going to pay people with this in mind. God is your master. What you have is given to you by God, and God cares what you give to your employees. 
Look at verse number 9, the latter part, and notice that a spirit-filled employer is seeking to please his master. He's seeking to please his master. The end of verse number 9, he says, Knowing that your master also in heaven... Your, your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. So employers, if you forget that you have a master in heaven, you're going to fail to be a good master on earth. Sometimes I'll give my children a job corporately, and they all have to go do it together. One time it was sweep out the barn. And I put Ian in charge intentionally. Tori tends to take charge. And she's very responsible, but I want Ian to develop those abilities. And I want Tori to learn to be able to come in underneath and support. And uh, he had to do the job. He had to lead the group. He had to deal with some rebellious workers. (laughs) There was almost a strike in my barn, you know. But I I intentionally put Ian in that position and, and here's the thing. It's not that Ian was the supreme authority. He was under my authority, and I had given him some authority. And I want Ian to learn that, you know what, as he learns to obey his authority, that's me, and he can lead others to obey authority, that ultimately he can please God, even sweeping out a barn. And employers, your, your role is probably not leading a crew to sweep out a barn. But you are going to answer to God someday for how you handle your employees. Parents are to train up their children. Wives are to submit. Husbands are to love. And as servants were to obey our masters, and as masters were to treat our servants as God in heaven wants us to treat those who work for us. Every believer, when in submission to the Lord, has no problem submitting to his authority. I'll say that again. Every believer, when you and I are in submission to God, we have no problem submitting to our God-given authority. The person that is not submitted to his authority will always fail at being a good authority. And that's the problem. Sometimes police officers abuse their authority. Why? Because they're not submitted to their authority. And I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about ultimate. Sometimes parents abuse their authority. Why? Because we as parents are not submitted to our God-given authority. If we as parents were submitted to the Holy Spirit and we were walking in the Spirit and filled with the Spirit of God, we would be better parents. Do we understand that? And we need to strive for that. We're to be filled with the Spirit. And when we are, we will have hearts that are joyful and thankful and submissive. We will have harmony in the home. We will have harmony in our marriage. We will have harmony even in the workplace, especially when we're working with other spirit-filled believers. And we can even find that a workplace will be easier when we're filled with the Spirit, when we're working with people who are unsaved. There might be persecution. The question is, are we willing to be filled with the Spirit? Are we willing to submit ourselves to the truths of the Word of God And are we willing to follow his instruction by the power of the Spirit of God who lives within us? Take your hymnals, if you would, and let's turn to hymn number 494. 494, have thy own way, Lord. 